At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying his word together. In a culture growing in hostility, it's clear how far we are from what the kingdom of God should look like. As followers of Christ, it can be difficult to stand firm in what we are taught and what we believe in. It's easy to let idols slip into our lives without us even realizing it, especially when the world we live in puts people on a pedestal. In our new series, Daniel, The Clash of Cultures, we'll be looking at the life of Daniel and how even then Daniel had to navigate a culture who opposed God. We'll discover how we can put our trust in God regardless of our circumstances and how God is sovereign overall. Join us this new year as we study the life of Daniel and learn how to apply the truths inside this book to our own lives. Well, I hope you came ready to have your life changed by the Word of God because it is always life-changing whenever we open up the Word of God. Um, Today we get a chance to wrap up the study, our study of the book of Daniel, and it's always bittersweet whenever we end a series. Uh, This has been a rich series. How many have enjoyed Daniel, enjoyed our study in this amazing book? And we're coming to chapter 6, which is just the middle of the book. Uh, Chapter 7 through 12 continues it on, but we're going to stop here. And I got an email, and I thought it was a a really good question. And someone asked, why not finish the book? It's been such a great study. Why not go through chapter 12? And we love studying entire books. We've done it for Ephesians and Philippians and Galatians and Ecclesiastes. We've we've studied entire books, and we love doing that whenever that's, that's what God has prescribed for us. But the rest of this book is dealing with what's called apocalyptic literature, end time literature. It's really focused in on the end times. And if you've been with us for any length of time, you know that over the last two years, we've done two series on the end times. We studied Revelation last year. Before that, we studied Matthew 24, 25, all that Jesus had to say about the end times. So we feel like we've kind of covered that ground. And there's a new series we're going to kick off next week, which is going to take us through a season called Lent and take us up to Easter. It's going to be powerful, I promise you. So you're not going to want to miss that. And we want to make sure we're shepherding your heart well as we journey through the word of God. But as for today, we get a chance to end on a high note. It's a very powerful, powerful chapter, Daniel chapter six. And what we're going to focus in on today is two things. Christian faithfulness. What does it mean to be faithful as the people of God, in particular in the face of persecution? And we're going to focus in on also the fact that God delivers And how many believe that, that God delivers, that God delivers? You know, it was about a week ago, I stood here on this stage and I said, thank you to many of you who came out to our all-campus night of prayer. How many remember that? Just about a week ago. And I said, thank you for fasting. Thank you for praying. Thank you for joining us. But as I was preparing for this message and reading through Daniel chapter 6 and just being reminded of the power of this chapter, it dawned on me. I wonder how many of us, I'm including myself in this question, would have shown up had we been threatened by those who opposed the Christian faith not to. Have we been told by people who are powerful or vindictive or violent that if we showed up to that prayer meeting, we would be imprisoned or beaten or worse? 
I asked the question for two reasons. Number one, to remind you to thank God that that's not our reality, that we get to come together week after week after week in relative freedom and lift up the name of Jesus and not have to worry about what many of our brothers and sisters around the world have to worry about, and that is death or imprisonment or beating. We can worship God freely and praise God that we still can do that. It won't always be the case, but how many thank God that that's the case today? Amen? But the second reason I bring it up is because there are Christians who are facing various forms of persecution, and you and I will as well, at different levels and in different seasons, there will be opposition to our faith. I was reading Christianity Today, this famous publication that reaches people around the world recently, and it was telling about uh, a pastor in India, Rangusami is his name, and he pastors a small fellowship, and Uh, They're in a region that is controlled by Hindu nationalists, militant Hindu nationalists that want to drive Christianity out of their region. And they were warned by these Hindu nationalists not to keep gathering at their church. But they decided to ignore those warnings and they gathered together for a prayer meeting, much like we held a few weeks ago. And there was those that were old and those that were young and in between. There was men and women, boys and girls, And just as their adversaries had promised, their enemies had promised, they attacked while they were praying. And some were beaten, and some were injured and harmed. And Christianity Today asked Pastor Rangusami, why did you gather, in spite of being warned twice by this group of people, not to? And his response was simple. It's because we are committed to Christ, and we trust God that he can and will deliver us. And how many believe that with all of your heart, that God is able to deliver, that he is able to protect us and to keep us? And sometimes he allows us to go through persecution, but even in that, be faithful, God delivers As a matter of fact, I'm convinced that if Daniel chapter 6 was a song, that the chorus of the song would be these words, be faithful, God delivers. Everybody say that with me. Be faithful, God delivers. Just one more time. Be faithful, God delivers. May that be the message of our hearts. May that be the message of a generation to another generation. But some will ask the question, What's the purpose of Christian faithfulness? Why be faithful? Some of you know what it's like to be faithful and still be betrayed. Some of you know what it's like to to be faithful and still have things work out in a way that you didn't want or invite or anticipate. Some of you know what it's like to be faithful and still receive what feels like an onslaught of persecution. And maybe you've asked yourself before, Is it even worth it? Why be faithful? Or maybe you know someone that you love deeply and they're going through hell right now. They're going through the worst trial that they've ever experienced and they're asking the question, why be faithful? Am I a fool to follow Jesus? This message is for you. I want to remind you that your faith in Christ comes with great reward. And that a generation needs our faithfulness. And when we are faithful, God moves in mighty waves. There are four things that we see exposed, revealed, and 
impacted when we are faithful. And I want to look at those four things as we survey Daniel chapter 6. The first is that Christian faithfulness exposes cultural opposition. Starts in verse number one, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. This system was set up. This governmental system was set up so the taxes could still come in. The king wouldn't suffer financially. But I want you to notice out the gate something is different about this chapter than the previous chapters. Daniel is up under a new government now. This is the third government he's been under. He started out in Israel up under what's known as theocratic rule. He was under his native land. But then they were conquered by the Babylonians, modern-day Iraq. Iraq, and he was up under Babylonian rule. And the power of that, it was total dictatorship. It was autocratic. Whom Nebuchadnezzar would kill, he killed. Whom he kept alive, he kept alive. There was nobody more powerful than him. But now we're being introduced to a combination government. It's called the Medes and the Persians, making up two people which would presently be modern-day Iran. They conquered Babylon, and they come in, and they got a different form of government, now a third form of government that Daniel is under. And this is a rule of law government, much like our own. Let's listen to this story as it unfolds. 120 district directors are reporting to three governors, of which Daniel is one of them. And it says in verse number two, again, and over them, the, uh, three high officials of whom Daniel was one, of whom the satraps should have account to get, so that the king might suffer no harm. Verse number three, then this Daniel became distinguished above all others, all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him and the king uh, planned to set him over the whole kingdom. The high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for a complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then those men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then those high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the perfects and the satraps and the counselors, the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. What a testimony about this Daniel. What a testimony about this man. I, I, I don't want us to miss this. That he excels so much up under 
the Israeli government that when Babylon takes over, they say, we want you in a king's court. He excels so much in the king's court in Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon that the king makes him a close advisor. Then when the Medes and Persians take over, he excels so much in what he was doing there that they asked him to become one of the high officials. This book tells us over and over again about how Daniel related to people who believe differently than him. And before we get into all the opposition he faced, may we also take note that Daniel never tried to undermine, disrespect, mistreat those who believe differently than him. He never saw them as somebody that he had to do combat with, though he often received opposition from them. He saw them as somebody that he was supposed to bear faithful witness to in hopes that he would win them to Christ. May that take note in our own hearts that you and I, when we're surrounded by people who believe differently than us, maybe on our job, maybe in our neighborhood, maybe even in our family, that we will love them well on Christ's behalf and hopefully, like Daniel, bear witness to them so that they can be one to Christ. So here he is. He's in governmental leadership. And wouldn't you be surprised that uh, jealousy arose among politicians. Who would have ever thought that would happen? And so jealousy arises among these politicians, and they come up with the oldest smear campaign known to man in politics, that we will dig up some dirt on him, we're going to evaluate his life. Most historians believe that Daniel is somewhere between 70 and 80 years old. Remember when he came into the kingdom, he was but a teenager. Now he's been serving uh, for about 50 years in political leadership. And do you know that they did all that they could to dig up dirt on him, to embarrass him, but they couldn't get one scandal on the man? Who do you know that's been in politics for 50 years and there was no bribe and there was no false financial dealings and there was no affairs and there were no sexual scandals? And I said this before, and I'm going to say it again, that Daniel stands as an exemplar of political leadership for us. And if God should, by his grace, call you to serve in the halls of government, may Daniel be an example and a role model of the type of leader you ought to be. And may you set your heart to be a man of integrity, a woman of integrity, not perfect, but committed to God and to serving for the good of others and for the glory of God and not for selfish ambition. I preached this earlier today and after our second service, a state representative came up to me and said, you know, I've been going to this church for a little while now and I'm so grateful for this book of Daniel. I got a new role model and a new example now that I want to pattern my life after. And I pray that that would be true for you if God has called you to government. No scandals on this man. And so what they said concerning Daniel is this. We know how to trip him up. We're going to trip him up concerning his faith in God. Because we know that if we set up this false law, that he's not going to stop praying to his God. That tells you a lot about Daniel's character as well. But you know what else it tells me about? then not everybody is going to be excited when you follow Jesus. 
Yeah, we're used to getting attaboys. We're used to getting people who celebrate us when we follow Jesus. But what we need to remind ourselves of and what we desperately need to tell our children about is praise God for the church family, but you're going to go out into a world that won't be happy that you're keeping your convictions in Christ. They won't always applaud you when you say, no, I won't do that. I won't compromise. And we got to tell them about chapters like Daniel chapter 6 so that they will be ready for it. I was raised as a youth ministry kid. I came to Christ at 13 in a local church. I was blessed to be able to be in a family of faith that encouraged us as this family does its students. And I remember going off to Michigan State. I went off to university, and for the first time, I'm surrounded by people who believe differently than me. Students who come from different faith backgrounds. Professors who don't believe in God at all. And here I am as a Christian, and for the first time, I'm not getting applause for serving Jesus. Everybody's not excited about me serving God And I had to learn a powerful lesson there. You can't live off of the approval of people. See, that's what's at stake in this particular chapter. There's two laws. There is the laws of the Mede and Persians, the laws of men, and there are the laws of God. And the question that Daniel was confronted with, that you and I are confronted with, is whose laws will we follow? What do we do when a law is established that conflicts with the law of God? May we be like Daniel. May we remember the words of Martin Luther King Jr., whose birthday we just reflected on, who is noted for saying that an unjust law is no law at all. That a law that contradicts the laws of God is not worth us following. That we will happily comply with any law of man as long as it doesn't put us in conflict with the law of God. Let me be plain in what I'm saying to you. That part of what we're going to have to learn and accept and teach to our children and grandchildren is that everything that's legal is not moral. That everything that's legal is not moral. There has been, there is, and there will be laws in this land that will be voted on or passed by Congress or, or, or signed into law by presidents and executive order. But everything that's legal is not moral. And if you have to choose between the law of man and the law of God, choose God every time. Be faithful, he delivers. That's the song. That's the chorus. Be faithful, he delivers. But you will experience opposition. Those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, they shall suffer persecution. And if my Bible is right, and I know it is, as we get closer to the days of Jesus' return, we should be prepared for more and more persecution and opposition. But may we be found faithful. The second thing that Christian faithfulness does is it cultivates uncompromising character. Look at verses 10 and 11. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before God as he had done previously. Verse number 11. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before God. They set him up and he knew he was set up. But he decided to keep praying. I want to say that again. He knew he was set up, but he 
decided to keep praying. Man, I could stop there and that would be a whole message. Keep praying. Don't stop praying. But I just want to make sure you're clear on a couple of things. Number one, this was no stunt by Daniel. Daniel didn't get this edict and then say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to one-up the king. I'm going to show him. I want to embarrass him. No, I think from every reading that I've done, every commentary I've studied on this chapter, Daniel was fond of the king, and the king loved him as well. I don't think he's trying to embarrass the king. No, I think that he is doing what he always has done. Notice at the end of verse number 10, it says, as he had done previously. In other words, his pattern was prayer. Now, there's two messages in this that are worth our consideration. The first message in this is that he wouldn't have been prepared for this big moment had he not been faithful in the small moments. You see, he was praying every day with his heart set for Jerusalem. Notice that he's living in Babylon, but he's a citizen of Jerusalem. Just like you and I are living in this world, but we're not of it. We're citizens of heaven. He never forgot where his citizenship was. He never fell so in love with Babylon that he forgot about heaven. And may we not fall so in love with the world that we forget about God. And so he was praying three times a day. And because he was faithful in the small things, when an edict came, it was easy for him to be faithful in the big things. Let's not fool ourselves into thinking we're going to show up for God in big moments of temptation. When the enemy is tempting us to compromise our financial principles or our sexual morals or to leave our family or to compromise our calling, don't think you're going to withstand that if your life is riddled with compromises along the way. But when you are faithful to God in the small things, maybe in prayer, maybe in reading the scriptures, maybe coming week after week to worship him, maybe in your generosity, Maybe in your witness to others. But when you are faithful to God week after week, day after day, you are conditioning and preparing and training yourself so that when the big moment comes, and it will come, the Super Bowl of your faith will come. And when that moment comes, you got to show up and you got to be ready. But what gets you ready is what you've done every, every day leading up to that day. Be faithful to small things because God delivers. But the second message of these two verses is that Daniel prayed because he knew where his power came from. What do you do when the most powerful man in all the realm tells you you can't do something? You better go to somebody who is more powerful than the powerful man. You better go to the king that is greater than the king. You got to go to the Lord that is above every Lord's. Daniel knew where his help comes from. What about you? Do you know where your help comes from? Do you know who can deliver you when nobody else can deliver you? Daniel faced something that outstripped his resources, outstripped his wisdom. He knew he needed to hear from God. And so do you. You and I need to hear from heaven, and I'm here to let you know heaven speaks, God gives grace. We don't just sing these songs just for spiritual exercises, but when we say praise God if you know he's worthy, praise God if you've seen his grace, it's because we've seen his grace. Don't stop praying because that's where your help and your strength comes from. How am I going to make it through? 
How am I going to make it through this trial and tribulation? I'm going to hold on to God. Now's not the time for you to give up on your faith. Now's the time for you to hold even tighter to God because he can deliver. Be faithful. God delivers. Amen? Well, the story goes on from there. And we see the third thing, that when we are faithful, God reveals his divine deliverance. Look at verse number 12. It says, then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction uh, that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, the thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Look, they're a, a rule of law country. Not even the king is more powerful than the law. It's established. And that's a good thing, except for when you're being set up. And he had been set up. They had played his ego to enact a law that was now endangering his friend. And Daniel, who he loved, who he was fond of, now had his life weighed in the balance. Verse number 13, then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes the petition, his petitions three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed. Why? He knew he was set up. And set his mind to deliver Daniel. He labored till the sun went down to rescue him. The, then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. There's such a message here, friends. Because there are certain times when those you love will try to rescue you and they won't be able to. And here, this king, who you would think has all the power in the world, stays up all night long thinking, how can I help my friend Daniel out of this predicament? And he could not do it. And maybe you know what it's like to have somebody that you always count on that you know you can go to to bail you out when you're in trouble, that you know you can go to to help you when you're in a fix. Maybe it's a parent, a mom or a dad. Praise God if you got those people. Maybe it's a grandparent. Maybe it's a brother or a sibling or a friend that you know you can go to. But I will tell you, in this life, there's gonna come such opposition at times when even those you love will not be able to rescue you. Anybody ever been there before that you called around, you doubt every number that you had, your fave five, you called through your phone book, your Rolodex, and nobody could help to fix the problem that you're in. Don't think in that moment that God has abandoned you. Sometimes he is setting you up for you to see that though man can't deliver, he can deliver. That when people cannot help you, you're not out of uh, support. He still can intervene. I told you I had a great youth pastor. He was my first discipler outside of my parents. 
And I remember how often I went to him for answers, direction, and guidance. He was like the Holy Spirit in my life. If I need to know which way to go, I go to him and say, hey, what do I do in this situation? And he would say, you should do this or you should do that, often with an open Bible. And it was a powerful thing. We had a great relationship. I loved him as a spiritual dad. But I remember one day going to him about 16 or so, and I was going through a situation and I said to him, hey, what do I do? And for the first time, his response to me, I don't know what to tell you. And I thought, that ain't how the rules work. They pay you to tell me what to do. And here he is telling me, looking me in the face, I don't know what to tell you, son, but I do know know what to do. And he took out his keys from his pocket and he gave me the keys to his office and he said, I'm going to unlock the door and you spend the next hour in here and you pray to God until you hear from him. And as annoyed as I was at that, at the time, As frustrating as it was, I am so glad to this day that that man sent me into that office to pray until I heard from Jesus, until I received direction and guidance from the Lord. Because what it taught me is that I don't have to go through saints or through Mary to get to God. I got a direct relationship with Jesus myself, and he will give guidance and direction to you and to me because he is no respecter of persons. Even when the king can't deliver, God can still deliver. Even when your mom and dad can't deliver you. This is what David said. Though Even though my, my mother and my father forsake me, the Lord will take me up. How many know that even when people aren't there, God is still faithful? And so here it is, the king can't help him. Verse number 16, then the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. And some may say, this is not how the story's supposed to go. And God says, yes, it is. The king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den And the king sealed it with his signet and with the signet of his lords, but nothing that that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. When it says he fasted, it means he didn't eat. It wasn't religious in nature, it means he had no appetite. And when it says that no diversions were brought to him, that means no pleasure was given to him. He didn't eat. He didn't drink. There was no sex that night. There was no joy that night. He was in anguish and distress all night long as he waited to see what happened to Daniel. And no doubt in his mind, he thought, there's no way this man is going to survive this. And it's my fault. But then in verse number 19, Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And he came near to the den where Daniel was. He cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? That's the question. The question of a generation, the question of those who have yet to believe in Jesus is can God deliver? Is following Christ worth it? 
Then Daniel gives the answer, verse 21. Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they uh, have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. And the fact that you're not shouting right now tells me that many of you have heard this story before, that maybe it's become a fable in your mind. Maybe it's become a fairy tale or just a Sunday school story. But I will tell you, I've spent much time throughout this series trying to establish the historicity of this book of Daniel, that this book gives dates and times and historical landmarks to invite investigation, that this is no fable or no fantasy. Daniel was not a man from far, far away in a land long, long ago, but this was a real man in a real country thrown into a real lion's den, and God intervened. That's the message of Daniel, that he even though you face overwhelming circumstances, that the world is more than just molecules and particles in motion, but there is a supernatural God who's a maker of heaven and earth, and he intervenes on behalf of his people. And the chorus of this chapter is be faithful because God delivers. And so here Daniel finds himself in this lion's den. And no doubt as you read this, my, my trouble in my spirit all week long is, God, I'm going to preach my heart out and I'm going to be sweating up there and these people are going to think this is just a fairy tale or a kid's story. And then the Lord placed on my heart to begin to read stories, modern stories today of supernatural deliverance and intervention, like what God did for Iraqi Christians, one man from the Yazidi uh, 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 group of people. He was a Christian in Iraq, captured by ISIS. They drenched him in gasoline, lit a match to burn him alive, but he did not burn because God delivered. Or like my friends who I was with in the Middle East a few weeks ago who are in war-torn countries, but God is preserving them. Or those who went to jail, like Pastor Wang Yi in China, who was told he'd go away for life, but then God got him out. And now he's writing chapters about God's faithfulness in spite of the Chinese oppression. You can't tell me God does not deliver. What about babies who were supposed to be aborted, but God preserved them, and now they got testimonies? What about people who are betrayed by powerful people, but God kept them so that they might be alive. What about your testimony and what about mine? I've come too far to believe that this is not God's character. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And let everything that have breath praise ye the Lord. Daniel says to the king, don't be afraid for me, I'm all right. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den so that Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Because he had trusted God, he was preserved. Because he trusted God. And the king commanded and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children and their wives, and before 
they reached the bottom of the den. The lions overpowered them and broke all their bones into pieces. So clearly we see that the lions were not on a diet. <laughs> they weren't fasting. God had intervened. God had preserved. And this judgment, it may seem severe, but don't be overwhelmed by that because hell is worse. Hell is far worse. And that's a choice put before us. In light of what we've learned today, how now shall we live? But friends, the good news is that this is not the end of the story. Everything from chapter 1 to chapter 6 is building towards what I'm about to read to you. A global spiritual awakening. His faithfulness sparked a spiritual awakening. And may it be said for you and me that our faithfulness sparked a generational revival. And I want to speak to young people. And all series long, I've been speaking to you. Don't you think your faithfulness is in vain? Your faithfulness can spark a global revival. And I want to speak to some wives in here and husbands who are married to un, uh, unsaved men and women. Don't you think your faithfulness is in vain? Your faithfulness can change the heart of a spouse or a child and your family can be saved. Don't you think when you walk into your jobs or your schools or your neighborhoods that your faithfulness is in vain? Because when we are faithful, what happens in Daniel can happen to us. Look at verse 25. Then King Darius wrote to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. This was a global open letter. And look at how it reads, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be de uh, destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved. Daniel from the power of the lions, praise God. And then it closes. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Look at what God did. God took this man's faithfulness and he brought revival. What can he do with your faithfulness? And what can he do with mine? Friends, I wish I could tell you that opposition won't come, the challenges won't come, but persecution won't come. But you know too much to know that that's not true. You are going to face some challenges, and sometimes it is God's plan and even will for you to go through the lion's den because we can sing about these songs all we want. We can give cliches to one another about how we love God all we want. But you know what transforms people? When they see all hell break loose in your life and you still love Jesus. When they see betrayal happen and you still praise him. When they see you go through sickness and hospital visits, but you you won't stop worshiping him. When they see your love for God, it will bear such witness to them that they will know not only is he real, but God saves, he delivers, and he is worthy of the praise. I want to invite you to stand with me all over this church. And there's two types of people in this room, those who have already believed in Jesus. And my prayer is that this will fire us up, that this will encourage us so much that we will tell the world about him until all have heard, until Christ returns. But then there's also those of you who have yet to believe. And I pray that you would know 
that in this world, you won't always be able to deliver yourself. And even those who love you won't always be able to rescue you. But there is one who saves. There is one who rescues. There is one who delivers. Anybody out there know his name? His name is Jesus. And today he says, come to me if you're weary and I will give you rest. Put your faith and your trust in him. And if today you want to give your life to Jesus, I'm going to be up here at the front. After the last service, we had three people who came to Christ and gave their life to Jesus. And I praise God for it. And maybe even today in this service, there's somebody who says, today I want to come to Christ for the first time or come back home. I'm going to be up front. There'll be others up front. We'd love to pray with you. Let's pray right now. Father, we praise you when our hands are empty. We praise you when the walls are falling. We praise you even in the lion's den. Lord, somebody's going through their own den right now, but I pray that you would show yourself powerful and show yourself mighty. Lord, we thank you for your great salvation. Thank you for dwelling among us and moving among us. We give you praise. We ask, Lord, that you would be magnified in and through our lives, not just on the mountaintops, but even when we walk through the valleys. We pray this in the mighty, matchless, and magnificent name of Jesus. God, you are great and greatly to be praised. We give you glory. How great is our God. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.